Hey, good morning, y'all. Hey, we're having church in here, so y'all can sit down or stand up. We'll do whatever you want. Telling people out there to come on in. Everybody to come on in. Hey, y'all. My name's Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm uh, one of the pastors on our staff here, and I just want to welcome you here. Y'all, there's lots of places that you could be, and God has got you here. He's got you here for, uh, for a reason. Um, he pricked your heart. He did whatever to get you up this morning and get you... Uh, in the church on the trail, so we're thankful that you're here. There's one thing that you need to know about our church, and that is that that we are in the in the business of our mission is helping people find their way back to God and grow. That is what we are all about, and that's from the people that are here on Sunday mornings, the people that are watching on Facebook or on YouTube live on Sunday mornings, or watching later on during the week, or <clears throat> or if it's out in the streets in one of our ministries, in, in the homeless ministry or in our foster care ministry, whatever it is, or if it's in a growth group or a Bible study that we have going on all throughout the week, sometimes super early in the morning and sometimes, you know, early in the evening. But our, our, our focus, our goal is to help people find their way back to the Lord. Let me pray real quick and then I want to turn it over uh, to our praise team. Lord, we love you today. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship we thank you for the opportunity to sing, enjoy. 
Lord, we're thankful that you live inside of us, that your Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we should be the most joyful people on the planet. Lord, when people look at us as believers, they should want to know what it is that makes you so different, and we should be able to tell them the reason for the hope that is inside of us. And so, Lord, we are going to sing praises to you. We're going to worship you. We're going to hear from you. Lord, we trust that you're going to prick hearts, that there are going to be people that are watching either online right now or here with us physically that walked in today lost and they're going to leave found. They walked in today blind, but they're leaving with crystal clear 2020 vision. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I hope you all having a great morning. You can go ahead and stand and worship with us. We're going to try to figure out the technical difficulties. Sorry about that. Guys, back there, do we have the track uh, unmuted? We're good to go? Huh. <laughs> All right, we're just going to run it. Yeah, go for it.
You give beauty 
for today, Lord. Thank you for just allowing us to be in your house, to worship you, to glorify you, Lord. We, we pray for this message, Lord, that um, Pastor Ed is about to get up, and we just pray that you laid it upon his heart. May we, his words just ring true with us, Lord. May we just hear it and apply it to our lives, Lord. We ask for all your blessings, and we just pray for this service. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Um, can you grab the, yes, sir, thank you. Welcome again. And, uh, I, I, I want to say this real quick too. If, uh, if this is your first or second time and you've never gotten one of these in your hand, I know a few of you got them out there, but if you, if you haven't, this is a little welcome kit, give you an idea of the DNA of our church. Um, kind of what we, who we are, um, raise your hand and let us know and we'll get one in your hands. Uh, and there's a connection card in there. And if you and there's also one in the seat back in front of you. If you want to fill that connection card out, bring it to the to the welcome desk that's between the lobster and the turtle out here in the in the foyer. We'll give you a cool church on the trail coffee mug um, if it, you know if it's your first time. And then also if, if you got any prayer needs, prayer concerns, or you want to communicate with us somehow or the other, an easy way to do that is that connection card that is in that kit or either in the seat back in front of you. But we are y'all. We're in a a time in our in our worship service where uh, we will worship the Lord uh, by receiving uh, an offering, tithe and offering. And usually Richard Moore is up here doing this, but Richard is in, he's our men's pastor. He is in Lynchburg, Virginia yesterday celebrating the, the marriage of one of his sons. So y'all give him a little, a little love. Um, that's super cool. I'll be doing that in about four weeks as well with my youngest son. So that's awesome too, um, but uh, you know when we, you know when we receive uh, an offering in our in our church family, it fuels the things that we do. It fuels the ministry, and all of those ministries. The goal is what I said a little while ago, and that is to help people find their way back to God and grow, to lead people into a relationship with Christ, uh, and if they are in a relationship already, just to help us all grow spiritually and it's things like VBS that we're doing out there where we'll have a bunch of a bunch of kids from four or five years old up to fifth grade screaming for Jesus this coming week so I would ask y'all too y'all pray for that pray for the leaders of VBS you know pray for the volunteers that are going to be serving during VBS and for sure pray for those kids uh, who mostly probably don't know the Lord but but many of them will come this week come to know him and I would say this, pray for the, those kids' parents because a lot of times, man, a lot of times it's the kids that are leading their parents into a relationship with Christ. And so pray for everything that's going to go on there. But our, our, our giving fuels that stuff. It fuels all the different ministries uh, in our church, and we th we're thankful for that. Up behind me is all the different ways mechanically that you can give, whether it be texting. There's a number up there. Go into the website, churchonthetrail.org. Uh, slash give, or there's a kiosk. <clears throat> there's a kiosk out here. You know, you can also give. You just need to reach out to uh, to info at churchonthetrail.org if you want to to uh, to give uh, any kind of securities, uh, any kind of stocks. Um, we can do that. We can do that as well. You just need to reach out and let us know. So let me pray for that, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we love you again. We love you today. Lord, I pray for the giving for the generosity of the people that call Church on the Trail uh, home. Lord, we trust and we believe that uh, 
that you will take uh, the resources that are, that are given here today and this week. And Lord, you'll give us wisdom and discernment and honor to use those resources in a way that would bring you praise and bring you glory. Lord, let us always do that. Let us always keep our eyes fixed on you, listen to you, um, and use wisdom in the way that, that those resources are budgeted and, and spent. Lord, let it always, always, always be about bringing people into a relationship with you. And so we ask you to bless that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all, so last week we were, um, we finished talking through the second half. We're in Acts chapter 2, and we're in a, in a, in a series uh, walking through Acts, and we're in a little series in there called Birth, and this series on birth is, is the second chapter of Acts, and it's, it's so named because it's the birth of the church. It's the birth of the church era. It's the birth of the church age. And so last week, really the most, the most important the biggest, most awesomest message, Christian message ever preached outside of the words of Christ himself is Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 36, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And so last week, we kind of we finished up that, that message. You know, he delivers, Peter delivers this, this spirit-filled, gospel-centric, Jesus-focused, um, resurrection-centered message and he's preaching this to several thousand Jews that are in Jerusalem, uh, gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. Today we're going to be in verses 37, 8, 9, and 40, uh, and then we're going to talk through the beginning of what happened after his sermon, the beginning of the, the, how the people responded to that, and what the Lord did with that message that he gave Peter, that Peter preaches uh, which is, again, it's this first Christian message of the church age. And so that's where we're going to be. Now, I want to start off, just like last weekend, a couple of weeks ago, by reading Peter's sermon, which, again, is, is verses 14 through 36. I want us to read through that whole sermon because here's the deal. This is God's word. It's God's word. It's breathed out by God. It's inspired by him. And, and I always want us to focus on him through focusing on his word. So we're going to start in verse 14. And if you remember, and I hadn't said this in several weeks, but we're using the complete Jewish Bible as we walk through Acts. It's a very, very good translation. Um, and that's the, that's the translate. Now understand too, y'all, that, that there are many good translations. You know, a lot of people think that King James wrote the Bible. King James didn't write the Bible, y'all. You know, the Bible's written in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic and Greek. And so any translation is just that, a translation. This, but this is a very good, very good translation. So we're using that as we walk through Acts. So let me start in verse 14. We'll run through that mess, through, through Peter's sermon. It's going to be on the screen and you've got it in your worship guide. Then Kepha, Peter, stood up with the eleven. And he raised his voice to address them. So he raises his voice and he's about to address probably five, 6,000 people. And he says, you Judeans and all of you staying here in Yerushalayim, that's Jerusalem. He said, let me tell you what this means. Well, what is he talking about? What, what, what means? Well, they're, they're, if you back up before verse 14, they're, they're speaking, Jesus guys, they're speaking in languages that they didn't know. You know, you got a, a Jewish guy from from 
Jerusalem and he's speaking in Libyan or he's speaking in Egyptian or he's speaking in, in some other language. And so, uh, so they say, well, what does all that mean? And the people are hearing it in their own language. And so he says, let me tell, Peter says, let me tell you what this means. He says, listen carefully to me. You can almost see Peter like, y'all, listen to me. And he says, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. He said, no, 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 no. This is all about, it doesn't mean they're drunk. He says, this is all about what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel. He says, Adonai the Lord. It's from Joel chapter 2. Adonai the Lord says, in the last days, I will pour out from my spirit upon everyone. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my slaves, both men and women, will I pour out from my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will perform miracles in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and thick smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon blood red before the great and fearful day of Adonai the Lord comes. And then whoever calls on the name of Adonai will be saved, will be saved doesn't say may be saved. It says will be saved. It's a promise. Verse 22, he says, men of Israel, y'all listen to this. This Yahshua from Nazareth, this Jesus of Nazareth, was a man demonstrated to you to have been from God by the powerful works and miracles and signs that God performed through him in your presence. He said, you yourselves know this. He said it was in your presence. You saw it. You were here. He was walking around and you saw it. He said this man was arrested in accordance with God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. This stuff didn't sneak up on God. Now, Peter, that's Ed. Peter didn't say that. But he says he was arrested in accordance with God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge and through the agency of persons not bound by the Torah, not bound by the law. He's talking about pagans. He's talking about Romans. He said through the agency of them, you, and he's pointing to them, you, and they're all Jews, you nailed him up on the stake and killed him. Verse 24, but God has raised him up and freed him from the suffering of death. It was impossible that death could keep its hold on him. For David says about him, and this is from Psalm 16, for David said about him, I saw, Adam, this is David writing about a coming Messiah. This is not David writing about David. Do y'all get that? It's David writing about the Messiah a thousand years, Peter quoting David who wrote a thousand years earlier. He says, I saw Adonai always before me for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. For this reason, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and now my body too will live on in the certain hope that you will not abandon me to Sheol or Hades or, or let your Holy One see decay. He says, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Your Holy One will not rot in the grave, is what he's saying. Verse 28, you have made known to me the ways of life. You will fill me with joy by your presence. Verse 29, brothers, I know I can say to you frankly that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, since he, David, was a prophet and knew that God had sworn an oath to him, that one of his descendants would sit on his throne, he, David, was speaking in advance about the resurrection of the Messiah, that it was he who would not be abandoned in Hades. It was he whose flesh did not see decay. God raised up this Yahshua, and we are all witnesses of it. He's like, you saw him walking out of that grave. He said, you all saw it. And then verse 33, moreover, 
He's been exalted to the right hand of God, has received from the Father what he promised, namely the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and has poured out this gift. Well, what's the gift that he poured out, which you're both seeing and hearing? It's all this language stuff that they're speaking in all these languages that they don't even know. And so Peter's explaining that to them. The Holy Spirit has poured out that gift, which you're both hearing or seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he says, and this is from Psalm 110, Adonai said to my Lord, Adonai the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It all comes down to verse 36. Therefore, all of this I just told you, Peter says, therefore, let the whole house, and by now he is probably screaming this at the top of his lungs, y'all. Let the whole house of Israel know beyond any kind of doubt in the world that God has made him, this Jesus of Nazareth, has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Yahshua whom you executed on a stake. Y'all, these several thousand Jews, they hear this powerful message, super powerful message. And then what? And then what? Verse 37 begins the and then what's. Verse 37 says, on hearing this, they were stung in their hearts and they said to Kepha, Peter, and the other emissaries, the other, uh, the, the other apostles, they say to them, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? So this first, then what? And you've got some fill in the blanks in your worship guide. And if you don't have a worship guide, raise your hand, we'll get one to you. So the first one is there's a deep conviction. There's deep conviction. The ESV translation says they were cut to the heart. The NLT translation says Peter's words pierced their hearts. The Holman Christian Standard says they came upon deep conviction. They came under deep conviction. And so that term stung or cut or pierced, or it speaks to being greatly pained, to, to being deeply moved falling under heavy, heavy conviction. You ever fallen under heavy conviction that the Lord's just pricking your heart like I gotta do something and, I'm be, and I gotta try to be discerning and, and understand what that deep conviction is leading me to do or where to go. So this word means like to strike or to prick violently or to sting sharply or to, or to stun maybe even. And so the Holy Spirit here at Pentecost the Holy Spirit through Peter, working through Peter and Peter's words, because you remember, it wasn't but a, a, a day ago that the whole, that, that at the beginning of, of Acts 2, that the Holy Spirit rested on them, that the Holy Spirit indwelled them. And now it's coming out. So the Holy Spirit, through Peter's words, through Peter's words, laid it on these people, laid it on them, and it's working. It's working. They were stunned. So they say, what should we do? How should we respond? Now, what are we, what are we gonna do, y'all? I'm gonna tell you, for a preacher of the gospel, those words are music to my ears. As an evangelist, I, those are the words that I wanna hear. Hearing that question, what should I do? What shall we do? That warms my heart. So after Peter's powerful message, the people that are hearing this are deeply moved. Brothers, what should we do? That is the basic question to ask. And I love it. 
like I love it when people ask that question because when they ask that, I know that the words do the, the 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 Lord is doing something. The Lord is working on them in some sort of a way. Verse thirty-eight. Kepha answered them. They add, he lays the gospel out black and white, y'all. They say, "What should we do?" Verse thirty-eight. Peter answers them. Turn from sin, return to God, and each of you be immersed on the authority of Yeshua the Messiah into forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter preaches the gospel. The people say, okay, I hear you. What do we do? And Peter throws down the gauntlet with four more then what's. The second then what is turn from sin. Turn from sin. Where the complete Jewish Bible says, turn from sin, return to God, most of your translations just say repent. Just say, it just says repent. Virtually every other translation says that. I love the way this translation shows us the two components of repentance. Part one is to turn away from sin, to change your thoughts, to change your mind. It's pious sorrow. It's not just regret. It's not just for sure, it's not regret you got caught. But it's righteous sorrow. It's a wholehearted change of mind that results in a change of purpose and a change of direction and a change of, of values. So turn first, turn from sin. Second, then what? The third, then what is this? Not just turn from sin, but return to God, return to God. That's the second component. That's the flip side of that coin, to turn towards God. Not just from sin, because that's a 90-degree. You like my art? That's a 90-degree turn. You turn from sin, you've, you've gone halfway. You've, you've turned about 90 degrees. But to complete that U-turn and turn towards God, it doesn't really do any of us any good, y'all, to just turn away from sin without turning towards the one that can completely solve the sin problem, right? I can turn a little bit from the sin really on my own. A little bit, probably. But I can't turn towards him. I gotta turn towards the one who can take care of that sin problem, who really already took care of the sin problem. And so here Peter adds in, um, he adds in the words, each of you, each of you, and he tells them, and he tells us that, that this message is for all of us. It's for each of us. And each of us and all of us individually ultimately got to make a decision about Christ. That offer that, that he makes us, that salvation offer, it is the only effective solution for the sin problem that plagues every single human that was ever born. His answer is the only solution. There, there, it's, it's unique and it's special and it's the only answer. You're not gonna find the answer in the Quran. You're not gonna find the answer in some Hindu writing or some Buddhist writing. He, Jesus Christ, is the only answer to the sin problem that has plagued mankind since the garden.
So he says, that, that could get an amen. So, so he says, turn from the sin and turn towards God. And then the, the, the fourth then what is take the God plunge. And if you're new to church on the trail, the God plunge is what we call uh, biblical baptism. Biblical baptism. So the Bible says, be immersed on the authority of Yeshua the Messiah into forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So baptism was kind of already being used in ancient Judaism. And it was being used for Jewish converts as a sign of their conversion to Judaism. They, were, they, would, be, they would go in what's called a mikvah. It's like a ritual bath and they would be cleansed. And then that was bad because the word baptism, it, it, baptizo means immerse. And so they were immersed. And when they came out, they were saying that I am now identified as a Jew. I am a Jew. It was a public proclamation when they converted to Judaism that they were now a Jew. John the Baptist had called for folks to be baptized as a sign of repentance and, and as a sign of heart change, as an external a celebration of some internal reality that was new for believers, for believers. Taking the God plunge is visible proof of repentance. It's a visible statement that you are saying that I am now committed and identified with Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said this. I love C.S. Lewis. Raise your hand if you love C.S. Lewis's writing awesome writer. C.S. Lewis said this. It'll be on the screen. He said, Christianity tells people to repent and promises forgiveness. It therefore has nothing to say to people who do not know that they have done anything to repent of and who do not feel that they have any need of forgiveness. Like I remember growing up and I see the Jesus saves bumper sticker and I'm like, saves from what? I don't need saving. What are you even talking about? That was my mindset. Lewis says, it is after you have realized that there is a real moral law and a power behind that law and that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power. He said, it is after all of that and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk. When you know that you are sick, you will listen to the doctor. You gotta know that you are sick. If you don't know that you are sick, really, you gotta know that you're dead. Because you, you will never land at the foot of a cross if you have no need to be there. Does that make sense? I lived my whole life thinking, I have no need. Like, what are you even talking about? I have no need. I'm a pretty good guy. I act pretty right. I just knew that I had no need. Now, let me say this. This idea of baptism into the forgiveness of your sins does not mean that baptism results in the forgiveness of sin. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it, it rather means that forgiveness of sins as a result of placing saving faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior should result in baptism. The baptism doesn't result in, in salvation. The salvation causes you to want to take the God plunge, which is an outward expression of an inward change. Repentance. Not baptism starts the ball rolling into salvation. So he says, so turn from the sin, turn towards God and take the God plunge. Fifth, then what? He says, receive the Holy Spirit. 
He says, you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And y'all, it's only through the coming of the, uh, of, the, of the Holy Spirit into the life of a believer, dwelling inside of a believer, resting on and in a believer, immersing himself in yourself. It's only when that happens that you can truly experience the forgiveness of sin, the gift of the Holy Spirit, not multiple gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit, not various gifts, but a singular gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit himself. Does that make sense? The gift is him. The gift is him living inside of you. It's singular. It's not plural. It's singular. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God. It's Jesus promised. He's the comforter. He's the advocate. He's the counselor. He's the one who guides his people. He's the one that when you pick up a Bible and you've read something 50 times and you have no idea what it says, he's the light bulb that goes off. He illuminates the text for his people and brings understanding to God's word. It's the Holy Spirit. He himself, y'all, is the gift. Hadn't you ever done that? Hadn't you ever picked up the Bible and you've read something a hundred times and you had no idea what it said and all of a sudden you read it and the Holy Spirit just, it is like the words start glowing and all of a sudden you understand that. Y'all, that is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. It's the most amazing thing ever when that happens. And so I feel like I got to address this too. I left you hanging a minute ago when I said repentance, not baptism, brings on salvation. And you may have said to yourself, he didn't say anything about faith. He didn't say anything about belief. He didn't say anything about trust. He didn't say anything about following Jesus. Like, what's up with that? Well, here goes. I said this a minute ago, and it may have been a little controversial. Can, can you or I, to some degree, turn away from some sin on, on our own power? Okay, most, most of y'all are nodding your head yes. I would say yes, yes, I can. In parentheses to some degree, for sure. Can I, on my own, in my own power, can I affect a little bit of life change in my life? I, I think I can. Can people take the God plunge? Can they be baptized without being saved? I bet it happens every Sunday all over the planet. Like I bet it does. But here's the deal. Context, Peter had just laid out the gospel, incredibly black and white gospel-centered message. Peter just laid it out. The people say, well, what should we do? So did they ask that question, what should we do because they don't believe what he said? Because they don't trust what he said? Because they Did they ask the question because they don't believe Yahshua of Nazareth that he was talking about? Of course not, because y'all inherent. In, in the question, what should we do is because they do believe it. The question comes from they do believe it. Well, what should we do? I do have faith in that guy that you're talking about. Well, what should I do? I do trust the one that you just talked about, Peter. Well, what should I do? January 17, 2001, when I was in my truck at 530 in the morning in the pitch black dark pouring down rain, I came to this realization, I believe it all. Like I believe every word of the scripture. I believe 100% of it. I believe that this, <clears throat> this guy, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, is the guy 
that David talked about. He's the Messiah that Psalm 16 talks about. You know, he's, he's, he's the fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Old Testament, hundreds of them. I believe I read Matthew and I read the genealogy and it proves that Jesus is a legal heir to the throne of Israel. I believe that he, I believed all of it. I came to that, that, that sort of intellectual understanding that he is exactly who he says he is. I believed it all. I believed the gospel. When I came to that belief, y'all, I absolutely think I'd lost my mind. I absolutely asked my windshield in my truck, well, what do I do? What, what should I do? My windshield didn't answer me back, but I'm like driving down the road, pouring tears, cascading down my face. And the question was, what should I do? And it's not what should I do because I don't believe it. Y'all, that's nonsense. It's what should I do because I do believe it. It's the same exact question that all those people ask themselves when Peter preaches his sermon. So what I do, I turn away from sin best I could and I turned towards God. And that turning towards God included saving faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Everything that Peter had just preached about. And the Holy Spirit came to rest on me and came to indwell me and came to immerse himself into, into my life. And ultimately on Christmas Eve of that year, I took the God plunge. My wife and I took the God plunge together. You see, a, a, a person who truly does believe does truly repent. A person who does truly trust in Christ makes a 180-degree U-turn. Not perfect. That U-turn doesn't lead to perfection. That U-turn doesn't lead to sinlessness. Don't put that on yourself because you will fail. I fail all the time. But it doesn't mean that I don't turn 100%. Because I cannot, I'm absolutely going to fail cataclysmically all the time if all I do is try to turn from the sin on my own. I got to turn from it and then turn towards the Lord and he, he will indwell me and he will provide me with the, the power, his power to begin to overcome the sin in my life. And so a person who truly does believe, truly does trust in Christ truly does repent and turn the 180 degrees and that person does get baptized and that person, and I'm talking about water baptism, that person does take the God plunge and that person does absolutely, they are absolutely filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no faith without true repentance and there is no forgiveness of sin without trusting in Jesus Christ. And no, Peter doesn't mention faith really anywhere in his message at Pentecost. He doesn't. When they ask, what should we do? He doesn't mention faith. But common sense tells me and you that it permeates all of it. The trusting in Jesus permeates everything that Peter is saying. So Peter told those people who responded to his message to repent and be baptized. And true followers of Christ recognize the, uh, the, the necessity of repentance and the importance of baptism. I say it every time somebody takes the God plunge. There ain't nothing in that water that is salvific. There's nothing in that water that is doing the saving. The saving's done already happened. 
The water is just that person screaming from a mountaintop. I'm now identified with Jesus Christ. That's the baptism. And so to repent literally means to change your mind about who God is. That he is the Lord and judge and savior of all. So it's to change your mind about who God is and it's to change your mind about where to find life, real life, not living self, uh, selfishly, not, not, not living rebelliously, but living humbly, having humble trust and humble faith and humble obedience to the Lord. Practically, that, that repentance involves a change of course. I cannot be the same on one side of the cross as I am on the other. You can't. If it's real, you can't be the same. And you're not going from fallen and broken and sinful to perfect. You're going from a lost sinner to a saved sinner. Y'all, that's the only two kind of people on the planet. There's not black and white and blue and green and Chinese and American. There's lost sinners and there's saved sinners. That's it. You want to end the, race, the, the racist kind of whole conversation? Lost sinners and saved sinners. That's the only two buckets that exist. You know, we stop running away from a holy God. We stop running. Scripture sometimes says we run towards sin. Well, we stop doing that. And we turn to Christ and we, and, and we depend only on him for forgiveness and mercy and guidance and purpose. And so it's in repentance that we recognize that we cannot save ourselves. That I bring nothing to the table other than the sin that made the whole thing necessary. It is only he that can save us. And baptism, water baptism, is this crucial step of obedience that identifies us with Christ and identifies us in this new community of believers. Y'all, it's one of the marks of, of true discipleship. It's one of the marks of uh, and a strong sign of saving faith. Now notice in verse 38, it says, be immersed, be baptized on the authority of Yeshua, the Messiah. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so Peter makes that clear, super clear, because in Judaism, there was all kinds of washings. There was all kinds of stuff going on with water. And they could have been washed multiple times, but none of them had anything to do with Jesus. And so he says, I want you to be immersed. I want you to be baptized in the name of Jesus. That was tying them. That was linking them. That was connecting them with Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah. That baptism in the name of Jesus. And you know what it meant, y'all? It meant that their families, it meant that the rest of their culture, it meant that their society would count them as dead. That's what it meant. I lived that. Me and my dad were like this. And the day that this went around my neck, and this did not save me, y'all, but the day this went around my neck, and the day that I told them that I, that I was a Christian, that I'd gotten saved, they, they might as well rip their sleeve, didn't talk to me for five years, almost six years. There's a cost of discipleship. 
there's a cost. And so in that culture, their families were done with them. They were dead to them. Those were the words that were said to me. You and your wife are dead to me, right? Five or six years. And we're talking about a guy that I worked with every day of my life. Because the most despicable thing that a Jew could do would be to come to Christ. Absolutely, y'all, the most despicable thing that could be done. But Peter says, I want you to make a public declaration. I want you to make a public act that identifies you with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it's, it's water baptism that does that. And so he says, I want you to be baptized and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so I'm asking y'all, have you turned away from sin and turned towards God? Have you turned away from sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for your salvation? Have you done that? And if you have, have you taken the God plunge? If you have, have you been baptized, immersed in water? Verse 39 says, for the promise is for you. It's Peter again talking to them. The promise is for you. It's for your children and it's for those far away. As many as Adonai, the Lord our God, may call. Y'all, this is a beautiful, beautiful, reassuring verse. It's a promise. It's a beautiful promise. And it's a promise, Peter's saying, it's a promise for you and for you and for you and for you and for your kids. And it's for your kids' kids. And it's for your grandchildren. It's for all, it's for all of y'all. It's the same thing he's saying today. It's for you and you and you and you. It's, and it's for your kids. And it's for your grandkids. And y'all, and, and it's for people far away. It's for people far away. And I'm, I'm just convinced that he's pointing at them when he's saying that. And I believe this far away thing is foreshadowing the inclusion of Gentiles in God's plan. He doesn't mean geographically far away. He's talking about far away from God. That's part of our DNA of this church is helping people find their way back. I don't care how far away you are. You can't run faster than God. It don't matter how far. He redeems broken things, jacked up things. He saved me. Like, are you kidding? I can't even believe it every day I wake up. I can't believe I'm a believer. So it don't matter how far away, and that's what Peter's saying, far away, you and your children, and then those far away. And there's a personal application to this, you. And there's a generational application, your kids. And there's a global application with those far away, and it's looking towards the Gentiles. Now, this last part of this verse, this last part of this verse, as many as Adonai our God may call. As many as Adonai the Lord may call. That presents a difficulty for some people. It does. But here's what I know. I know a person who doesn't know the Lord, me, 21 years ago, in that lost state. I didn't know the Lord. I was in that lost state. I'm dead spiritually. I'm not sick spiritually. I'm dead spiritually. And I resisted the gospel. Didn't know nothing about no gospel. Didn't know nothing about no Jesus. I was dead spiritually. In that state, I was self-centered and I was rebellious towards God. I was in control. At least I thought in my own messed up mind that I was in control. Consequently, I was dead to him. So a person who comes to Christ 
is a person who has been called by God, a person who has been drawn by God, a person who has been pulled on by God, a person who has been tugged by God, a person who has been some churchy people use the word wooed. God is wooing me. He's pulling. He's tugging on my heart. Is he tugging on your heart today? Has he been tugging on your heart for 20 years? Like, I don't know. I know that I know. He reached down in my life and plucked me out of the pit of hell. I know. There is no doubt. And I was, no matter how hard I tried to climb out of the pit myself, it wasn't working. Can anybody understand that? I'm digging and clawing and whatever. And all it, he just does it with his pinky finger, y'all. And I know it was him. I know it wasn't me. I know. I know that we don't act alone and come to Christ. I know that we don't come by our own effort or our own energy. I know that we don't come by our own minds or our own thoughts or our own will. We don't. I know that we don't come by our own labor or our own works. Anybody been trying to work your way into heaven? I believe that my whole life. If there was a heaven and I acted right, whatever that even means, that I would land in heaven. How many of you have ever thought in your mind that you could work your way there? Raise your hand. There should be way more hands raised. Because all of us have kind of thought that from time to time. Me and you on the bad side of salvation. We are spiritually dead and can do nothing spiritually. Just like a dead body can do nothing physically because it's dead. So if a man with a dead spirit ultimately comes to Christ, he's got to be acted upon by God. He's got to be drawn by God. He's got to be tugged by God. He's got to be pulled or wooed by the Lord. His heart is tugged on by God. And listen. He is the God of second and third and 50 and 100 second chances. He will hunt you down. He will chase you up a tree. He will chase you into the worst, nastiest, most horrible places on the planet because he's tugging and he's pulling and he's trying to convey to us that there's nothing you can do to earn his love and there's nothing that you can do to cause him to not love you. And sometimes he's got he's to get in the pit with you and you think that you don't know what I've done. Well, he does know what you've done. You think that you can get so deep down in the pit that you are unsavable. Ever thought that? You can't save me, God. You don't know what I've done. Well, that's a nonsense thing to say. He knows everything that you've done and knows everything that I've done. So if a man who's dead comes to Christ, it's because God tugged him and pulled him there. And so when you sense that pull, when you sense that tug, when you sense that wooing of the Holy Spirit, you got to act on it then and there. Because you know why? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like you don't know. That's the most cliche thing in the world. But you don't know. And I don't know. He knows, but you and I don't. So I'm saying you believe and you make the decision to follow Christ. Now. Like now. What better time is there than now? So are you feeling him tugging on you a little bit? You know, p pulling on you a little bit. Verse 40. This is how the passage ends. He, Peter, 
pressed his case with many other arguments and kept pleading with them. What a word that is. He's pleading with them. Save yourselves from this perverse generation. And so Luke, who wrote Acts, doesn't give us any more of Peter's words. But he says, and I don't think I ever really noticed this, honestly. He says that Peter kept on and on. Some of your translations say, say with many words, many other words. The CJB says with many other arguments. And he was pleading with them to get saved. Here's what you, and first of all, I never thought about it. So I counted the words in Peter's sermon. Like I'm weird that way. In the Greek, there's about 450 words. The normal way a person talks, that would have taken him three to five minutes. Well, here's what I know. That message was a whole lot longer than three to five minutes. I preach about 3,500 to 4,000 words on a Sunday morning. I know Peter went on and on. What did he go on and on about? He, he's testified, y'all. He's given his testimony. He's given the testimony of, of John and Andrew and Matthew, the tax collector. He's, that's what he's telling them. Imagine five, 6,000 people and Peter's probably crying saying, I denied him. I denied him three times. I told them all I didn't know anything about him and I ran. But then I ran to that grave and it was empty. Can you imagine Peter talking about that? He lived it. It had only been six or seven weeks. So he's given his testimony. He's not given his life story, y'all. That's not what a testimony is. A testimony is I was this way before and now I'm this way and the difference is him. Y'all, that's a testimony. What I looked like before and what I look like now and how did Jesus affect all of that change in my life? That's a testimony. That's what Peter's doing. There ain't no telling how long Peter talked. No telling. But he's telling stories and he's telling things and we saw the Lord walking and we saw him and, 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 and crazy doubting Thomas poked his finger through the hole in his arm and the hole in his ankle. He's telling those stories. That's what happened at Pentecost. He laid down many other arguments. That's what Peter said. So he's testifying. And then he, and then he exhorts them and he says, he says it, save yourselves now. That could be problematic as well. But the tense there is called passive imperative. It doesn't matter what the tense is. I don't even know why I said that. What that sentence is saying is be saved from this jacked up generation. That's what it, it doesn't mean save yourselves obviously you cannot bring about your own salvation. So we know that's not what he's saying. And the structure of the sentence is be saved from this messed up generation. Jesus called that generation of, Israel, of Israelites, he called them faithless and he called them wicked and he called them crooked and he called them evil. And in 70 AD, 35, 40 years after that first Easter weekend, God laid the hammer down on that generation, wiped it out, over a million Jews, between a million 100,000 and a million 200,000 were slaughtered in the siege of Jerusalem by Titus and by Tiberius Julius Alexander in 70 AD. And Peter says, save yourselves. He says that in the sense of that you surrender yourself to the salvation that is freely offered by Christ. It is free to you and me. It was not free to him. 
He was beaten, scourged, crown of thorns hammered down through his skull, nailed to a cross. That ain't free, but it's free to me and you. So hearkening back to Pentecost, I say to everybody here right now, if you are not a Christian today, what you gonna do? You get in your car. You ain't done nothing. You get in your car. You look at that windshield. That windshield says, what you gonna do? How, how you gonna answer what you gonna do? Is God drawing you, tugging you? I'm gonna call the worship team up, by the way. Is God drawing you? Is he tugging on you? Is he pulling on you? Is he whispering in your ear, in, the, in your mind? Is he saying to you, I've been doing this with you for 25 years, man. When are you going to learn? You can't do it yourself. You've been trying to do it yourself for 50 years. How's that been working out? That's the way he does stuff. That's the way God does things. You've been trying to do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. Lean on me. But I messed up so many times. He says, that's okay. That's okay. He says, I got big shoulders, big broad shoulders. Lean on me and I'll save you. Trust me and I'll save you. Turn away from your sin and turn towards me and I'll save you. So I'd say to y'all, consider that offer. If you've been running from him, stop running. Don't go to sleep tonight without considering the offer that he makes. Don't let your head hit the pillow tonight without really considering that offer. Y'all, that offer is out there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year for the rest of your life. But you don't know you don't know about the rest of your life. Is that the rest of your life? You know, or is that the rest of your life? Make that decision, and, and I've said this so many times, no decision is a no decision. If you, you make no decision, your, your answer is no. And I'm pleading with you to make a decision for Christ. The word says Peter pleaded with them. I'm pleading with you. Answer that tug on your heart like say yes make it real but say yes turn from the sin turn towards him confess with your mouth believe in your heart and then yeah let us know that happened and we want to hold you down in there in that water and some of you we may have to hold down a little longer I had to hold my son down for like 10 minutes but <laughs> But yes, get baptized. Yes, be immersed in the water. And yes, the Holy Spirit will just live inside of you and you can have lasting, lasting joy. Not temporal happiness, lasting joy. There's no, I can't even explain it. So if that's you, I want you to pray with me today. Lord, today is the day. Today's the day that I turn away from the junk in my life and I turn towards you. And I'm committed to you. I believe that you died on that cross. I believe that that took care of this sin problem that I have. I believe that, it, that, that, that you were the only, the only one that can take care of that sin problem. And I believe, Lord, that you walked out of that grave alive. And Lord, in answer to that question, what you gonna do, 
I'm going to live for you for the rest of my days. Whatever length of time that is. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, y'all, if you did that, if you said yes to his offer, please let us know. Not so I can come bring an apple pie to your house. Not so we can tackle you in the parking lot. Let us know so we can pray for you and with you. Let us know so that we can walk this, this life in this perverse generation. It's what Peter called the generation then. Is it any different today? No, it's not. But we want to walk it together. There is something about being gathered, the gathering of the saints, walk in life together. Let us know so we can do that. Not so that we can accost you, so that we can help each other grow in Christ. That's why. Fill out a connection card and let us know and you can give it, turn it in between the lobster and the turtle out there. If it's online, go to churchonthetrail.org to the connect tab and just fill it out online. One way or the other, just let us know because we want to do life together. We're going to sing um, a blessing over each other just like we did last week. Um, and this is straight from scripture. Um, and we know that God's will for our life is good. Um, so we're going to encourage each other in that, remind each other of that, and pray for God's hand on all of us. So.
in a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you in a thousand generations in your family and their children their children their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you within you he is with you he is with you in the morning and the evening and you're coming and you're going and you're weeping and rejoicing he is for you he is for you